welcome to Shedding Light Hunting Stories Podcast, a podcast dedicated to average Joe and their great hunting stories. I'm your host, Travis Williams, who listen to episode 177. guys welcome to the show it has been a hot minute since our last episode took a long break there and um, didn't quit or give up that's still not in my mindset I still want to keep doing this but every so often it's just good to take a long break and kind of let the just let the the fire get stoked again inside so I kind of hit it hard and I uh, got some guests lined up for the next few weeks and so my goal I'm not setting any lofty goals this year of one episode a week or anything like that just trying to be consistent, hopefully one every other week at least, maybe maybe uh, have back-to-back weeks, we'll see how it goes, and uh, that's an offer to you. Uh, if you'd like to come on the show, sheddinglightod at gmail.com, just send me an email or a private message on Shedding Light Outdoors, would love to have you on, hear your hunting stories, tell me how your season went last year, um, talk to me about turkeys that's coming up, whatever you want to share, would love to have you on, but uh, give you a quick update on some things going on here in Southeast Ohio. And then we'll jump right in with our guests. Um, so uh, a few weeks ago, went to the bow shop and was getting excited uh, for the Winter League. Every year, the, the local bow shop, it's a 30-yard indoor uh, range. They set up 3D targets, and they do a, a winter shoot. And it's just a lot of fun, uh, Tuesdays and Thursdays. And there's a lot of guys that come to that. And I uh, got to talking to the owner, and he's like, you know what? I don't think we're going to do that. I think we're just going to do money shoots on Friday. And uh, we're not going to do that because it was a lot of work, a lot of effort, and we didn't make a lot of money off of it. And so that kind of popped an idea into my head. I called my buddy Nate Root. Uh, if you guys remember, uh, Nate and I met last year at the Winter League, became buddies, and started talking about um, how can we do something. And Nate had this idea of like guy, having, having guys over to his basement to shoot or something like this, but kind of pairing a Bible study with it. I thought that's a great idea. We tried in May. Too many guys were out turkey hunting, doing other things. It didn't work out. So whenever I found this out, I called Nate and I said, what if we pitch the idea to to the owner and see if we can come in on like a Tuesday night and do something? And the owner loved it. He's a Christian guy. And so that's where Bows and Bibles came from. Um, So we started this thing called Bows and Bibles two Tuesday nights ago. And we uh, just kind of promoted it, said, hey, we're going to do a shoot. We're going to do what, uh, talk about what does it mean to be a man of integrity, use some biblical examples, and then the rest of the time we're going to have just a fun, uh, friendly competition. And the first week, 12 guys showed up. Last week, 13. And it's just been a lot of fun uh, just trying to get to make connections, get to know guys. I'm not trying not to preach too hard. I'm trying to make it be more of a discussion, talk about integrity and um, it's been really cool. Uh, really enjoyed that. And that kind of leads into today's guest. Um, I was thinking about guys I could invite guys that I know and a local guy that I had on the podcast all way back in, I think it was February of, yeah, February 2nd, 2020. I had Jesse Roush on, uh, local guy. Uh, this is episode 54. If you want to go back and uh, Jesse came on and we talked about the 14-year wait, um, and quite an awesome episode. Uh, if you want to go back and listen, it's really neat. You can kind of get more of Jesse's background, um, but uh, had him on, and I've kept up to date with him a little bit, um, but, you know, we cross paths in circles. We've worked on different committees and stuff in town, and Jesse's a guy that's really passionate about bettering the community, uh, bettering the environment around him. He does a yearly thing at our local lake where uh, he gets volunteers to uh, pick up stuff. He's also uh, created this hunting forum and has a group of guys there from Ohio that are passionate about it. And um, 
So yeah, I thought, you know, I'll give this guy an invite. And his response back to me, I thought was really interesting. I came right out and just said, hey, um, I appreciate the invite. I love shooting my bow. He goes, as for the other part, he goes, uh, my wife's a, a Catholic, but I'm agnostic. Um, I kind of have gone back and forth. And if you'd like to have me on your podcast again, I'd love to just kind of share where I'm at. It might be helpful. I'm not against faith. In fact, maybe some things I say could help people. And so I thought that could be an interesting angle. Uh, definitely, and, and it absolutely was. Um, really appreciate Jesse and his respect that he shows. And so we get into this uh, interview and um, went over to his house last night and had a great time. Uh, I got to talk, get an update on his farm, hear about uh, his daughter's most exciting hunt from the ground. Uh, we talk about food plots and Je- Jesse just kind of nerds out on that stuff like big time, like what he does on the land and those kind of things. And then we kind of transition into this conversation about where he's at with his uh, faith and uh, his journey and just appreciate the fact that he's willing to dialogue. And I, and I try to be open and dialogue with him. So I have some thoughts on that at the end and uh, maybe share a few things. But without further ado, we're just going to jump right in. It's a fun episode. Hope that you enjoy it. Here's Jesse Crouch. All right. Well, I am back in a familiar basement. It's been a, a long time since I've been here. You've done some remodeling, but I'm happy to be with my local friend here, Jesse Roush. How you doing, man? I'm good. I appreciate you coming over to see me again, especially now that I'm not embarrassed of my messy basement. Oh man, <laughs> I liked it. You had a now. Did you have more mounts down here before? Yes, a lot of unhung mounts were okay. sitting on the old couch right there. I so, remember that. Yep. Yeah, they are now in my workshop, which is on the other side of the wall from where we're sitting right now. Maybe we should record it in there. It's a disaster because oh, okay. all, all right. the cleanliness <laughs> that you see here is also in the workshop. My wife would kill me if I took you in there. Yeah. I was thinking, I don't know. I, I should have looked it up. I don't remember what episode, but it was one of the early ones, yeah. I think, in the first year or so that you came on. And uh, so give us a little update. Tell us a little bit about who you are for guys that didn't listen to that way back yeah. then. Yeah. Yeah. So same basement, uh, probably four-ish years apart. And uh, certainly a lot's changed. We've added another child. So I had a, a, my, our youngest turned one yesterday. Oh, wow. so three girls now, 10, 5, and 1. Uh, I've changed jobs. I went from, I was a workforce director at a local college. And then uh, I now run our county economic development office, which is an interesting story in and of itself. Um, I had an opportunity to talk about duck hunting, a really good spot today as a result of <laughs> trying to develop a local economy. So you just never know where that'll lead you. Yeah. Um, we're on 11 acres right here, which is pretty much where I grew up and, and have killed several good deer here. It's just the right acreage. And then we have a farm that's about 15 uh, miles up the road. That is where I spend a lot of my time doing the, the other part of my hobby that I love, which is working the ground. And yeah. that's maybe surpassed actually hunting deer at this point. The farm with no name, right? The farm with no name. Like uh, we were cleaning out the barn this weekend to pour a concrete floor in there and, and clean some stuff up. And my dad said we were talking about the barn, the barn, we sh- the old barn, so the, the barn with no name. I'm like, well, it's the farm with no name. So it's fitting that after uh, 17 years, 18 yeah. years this October, we nobody ever put a name to it. It, it just became the farm with no name. I like that. I like that. We, whenever you're on Facebook and I see that, I'm, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. So. I guess, uh, you know, No Name Farms LLC, if you wanted to file your business filing, yeah, just for social media's sakes, if you look up hashtag the farm with no name, you will see what it's all about. That's cool. Well, I think you and I, I mean, we originally, I I think, met through like an economic development committee kind of thing in Belfry, 
And um, so I remember you use a lot of big words, <laughs> educated guy, but then I get you on the side and all of a sudden we can talk deer hunting. And so it was, there's two sides to Jesse here a little bit. So yeah, it's been good getting to know you. The deer hunting is in my blood, like, you know, a lot of people in, in the country, in the world, certainly in this region. I was gun hunting around the age of eight. Uh, I got my first bow and went on my first bow hunt on this property when I was, let's see, 17 years old, yeah. Christmas Day. And my parents thought that that would sort of be a, a fleeting thing in my life as a junior in high school, right? And um, it just turned into an obsession. I unwrapped the bow Christmas morning, went outside. I got, my cousin gave me a used target, flung some Easton 2117s at a pie plate, and was hitting the pie plate at 20 steps and went for a hunt. And um, actually, the spot where we've killed a lot of deer, I just picked a spot set by a tree, had two does come down, shot underneath the lead doe. And as soon as the arrow bounced off the rock, my first thought was, I have to learn how to do this. I have to get good at this. And so I was a three-sport athlete in high school. You graduate high school and you're not good enough to play in college, all of a sudden you've got a hole to fill. And that became bow hunting. And then when I was, what, 22, 23, we bought the farm. And that at that point set me off on a whole different trajectory. Yeah, that's neat. It's neat. So I wanted to talk about this real quick. Give us a little bit of a rundown on the Ohio outdoors. I see your shirt there, and we talked a little bit about this last time. And I've kept up a little bit. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about uh, TOL. Uh, so we started the Ohio outdoors in August of 2010, and that was sort of a result of you know there's another semi-popular forum in the state of Ohio where a, a lot of us were at in the early 2000s. For me, I'm largely self-taught, right? My parents just gave me a tool and pointed me on a direction. My dad basically taught me how to walk quietly in the woods and how to sit still. That was about it when it came to woodsmanship. And so when it came to bow hunting, I had to learn from scratch. Forums were a, a big part of that. And um, around 2003 timeframe, uh, I would have been 21, junior in high school. I found that forum, joined, learned a lot, probably learned the importance of pay it forward. And, and forming a bond and brothership and fellowship with other people around a particular interest more than anything else. But I also learned a lot of tactical skills that I could apply in, in the field. But um, what feels very relevant in 2023, advertisers had a lot of sway in what was being said there. And it was sort of the early ripples of that. And so the quality of the forum started to diminish. And we started, myself and, and my now business partner in the Ohio Outdoors raised this to the owner at the time. And essentially, a lot of private messages back and forth culminated in, if you think you can do better, do better. Yeah. We're doing much better. We're the most <laughs> active forum in the state of Ohio. We will certainly beat them to a million posts. Uh, we'll do that this year, despite the fact they had a 14-year head start. Uh -huh. So Joe is a very intelligent IT person. I was spent a lot of time marketing sales content, you know, you know, and then it doesn't take much more than that just to give a platform to all of our members who are really the ones that deserve the credit because they're the ones that make things. We just gave them a spot, but those guys make it what it is. And yeah. so what we didn't recognize was how many things, I know a guy who does everything because I know guys on the forum. There are guys who are, making maple syrup right now, who are curing hams in their basement right now, um, guys that are expert, you know, master electricians, guys that know everything about sharpening lawn blades. It doesn't, I mean, if you're just a regular dude, kind of like we are, and you have interest, cigars, bourbon, whatever it is, right? Somebody on there is into it. It's their thing. Yeah. And so all you have to do is get on there and be cordial, ask a question, introduce yourself, put yourself out there. 
And man, it's a lot of fun. And then we've been doing events for a long time now, basically from the start. Uh, we go to Stroud's Run every year. It's now a week long thing, and it's become um, it's a it's a men's group, right? It's fellowship <laughs> and brotherhood. We call it the brotherhood, and we really mean it. Some of us don't. I don't actually have a real brother, a blood brother. Yeah, I have some really close friends that I've met over the years, and then most of them are on members of this forum, right? That's cool. Uh, so that's. You guys just went to Salt Fork recently, right? Yeah, we did a muzzleloader hunt up How's there. Uh, I want to just put this out there. That I love the guys from the hunting public, but we were doing it before they were doing it. Oh, okay. So right. yeah. I, I love those guys, but... Um, I think they make more money, though. They make way more money. <laughs> they do it way better than me <laughs> than we do their content. I love it. I love watching it. However... You're the OG, though. We have some OG pictures from a, a trip to AEP that shows that the internet could pull together a lot of people to do deer drives for muscle litter season. So yeah, we went to Salt Fork, had maybe around 20 guys yeah. um, all over. It's great. It's it's just a good time. Uh, yeah. We didn't kill anything, but we had a great time. It is neat the way hunting um, just kind of connects you. Like you and I were talking about this podcast. I've been doing this since December 2018, uh, 177 episodes. And it's just like the people that I've met through it, I haven't stayed close with everybody, but right. there's... There's probably 10, 12 guys. I'll just get a text. And I, I, save, I have to save folks on my phone. And like, oh, yeah, that's who that is. And just connections. I have, I have a guy that's invited me to a – if I ever want to go on a hog hunt, he's got a spot for me to right. go hog hunting. You know, I got some buddies that came up, you know, uh, last year a guy from North Carolina came up and hunted and was able to get him on a real <laughs> bigger buck than I've ever shot in my life. That's and, awesome. And this October, um, I don't know if I should announce this yet or not, but this October there's two Australians that are probably going to be staying nice. in my basement for uh, a week. So. Awesome. Yeah, just it's just interesting the way yeah. that you meet people and just the brotherhood and the connection. I That's like very that. cool. Yeah, no, it's just the, the the wives laugh often about the internet boyfriends, <laughs> right? And it, but there, I mean, it just the internet and technology allows you to stretch your interest much farther geographically than you could yeah. if you didn't have it otherwise. That's so. true. Well, give us uh, give us an update on the farm with no name. I want to get into some of your stories here. Yeah. Since last time, so this is a farm that you've really put some time and effort into. I think the last time I had you on, if I remember right, you were able to take your first buck uh, from there. Yeah. Uh, and that that was quite the story. Getting that, so kind of bring us up to twenty twenty three. What's been happening? Yeah. So fifteen years to kill that buck, and then I went back to back to back, which was too good to be true because yeah. I got schooled out there this year. Um, we can dig into that. It's a whole other topic, but. Um, Man, when we got that place, it was 100 acres. We sold off a little bit. We're at 80 net right now. Um, it was really clean and pristine, well-maintained, lots of brush hogging, all that stuff. I, over time, have been allowed to sort of claim things for deer hunting. And at this point, really, uh, my mom has had some struggles, health struggles. And it's kind of st- slowed my dad down a little bit. My dad's almost 70 years old, so he's not as active. We're not running cattle out there anymore. It is pretty well at this point 100% managed for deer and has been for the last five or six years. And so we've been able to get a lot of habitat back in terms of, of bedding cover. Places that would have been mowed like your yard now are what would I would consider classic CRP, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's grasses and small pine trees and uh, locusts, all that good stuff we like to see. Some of it's self-facing or south-facing. I'm sorry. We, that's probably where we suffer the most. Yeah. Uh, 
really we need we're we're at a stage now where we gotta figure the timber situation out. It's it's grown a lot in those 17, 18 years. Things it, the woods look a lot different, and so we need some TSI consideration this spring. The plan is to get a forester out there. I've spent a lot of time on on the food plots. I give a shout out right now to my buddy Al, who's a member on the forum. Um, and the guys over Jared and Brian at the Habitat podcast. Mm-hmm. Those guys are awesome. I did yeah. their podcast. Uh, Vitalize Seed is a joint venture between Albert and Jared from uh, the Habitat podcast. And so I was actually able to take over a three and a half acre traditional ag field that we had just been leasing out. We had a, a falling out with the farmer uh, primarily because now I have nothing but cockleburr and Johnson grass to deal with mm. on a lot of our tillable acreage. So I, I have an invasive battle on my hand right now as much as anything, but we've really been able to craft and create structure and food in a way that I always hoped that we would be able to do. Um, it hasn't quite been the jury experience that I thought it might be. <laughs> it's not that easy, yeah. despite the way they make it look. Just if, throw some you know, seed out and the, the 180 start showing up, right? I have grown some of the most beautiful turnip plots you could ever imagine in that creek bottom. And I have never once seen a mature buck in daylight standing there chomping on a turnip. Mm-hmm. And so it's, I've had to learn by trial and error, right? Yeah. I grew a fantastic uh, groundhog radish. Merit seed makes a fantastic groundhog radish. It grew amazing in our creek bottom, but the deer just don't touch it. And I've been planting various forms of bulbs and tubers over the years. And our deer just are not interested and so I'm really focused on the green to green transition at this point and trying to get beans down in our bottom. Okay. We have a big creek bottom that uh, I could probably get a three quarter of acre bean plot in. So we've never attempted it because we have trouble getting farm equipment down there. Yeah. Uh, my dad was kind enough to sell me his smaller compact tractor. He bought a new tractor. Then we went halves on a brush hog and a tiller. So I now have my own equipment. I'm not sort of at his mercy any longer. But, you know, we have a big tractor that will do a lot of hard work, but it's also kind of too big to get into some of these spots. And so I now have basically full control over crafting the environment from mowing trails to building food plots. And he's on board with doing some cutting finally. That's not something I've ever, I've never dove into. I'm hunting, um, you know, a lot of uh, alpha alpha fields, farmers and things like that, cut soy, cut corn, standing corn. So, but it sounds like to me, even though you haven't had maybe the success that you've wanted with the, the booners on, on the fields, yeah. you're still passionate about it. You still care about the habitat and that's part of it. So talk a little bit about like that and what's been the most rewarding part about doing it? Um, honestly, that buck I killed in 2018 was sort of the culmination, right? It took 15 years to kill that deer. Uh, there were some mistakes on my part. Shoulda, coulda, woulda's. We all been there, and so I, I could have certainly killed some deer before then if I hadn't had you know my head up my rear, right, <laughs> uh, on two different specific occasions. But um, just growing into more of a holistic view of it's not just food plots for deer. Mm-hmm. When I became a father, and my kids love to go pick. As the result of letting things come back, we have excellent black raspberries. Mm which my kids like to pick, which turns into wonderful treats here at the house. And so I've learned to enjoy the farm 365 days a year. Mm. And it's one of those pieces of properties that looks way different in each season. Mm. And so turkey season's its own thing, and the dead, cold, hard winter is its own thing, and the hot, muggy summers are that, right? And then I keep looking up at this. I have a painted slate picture of an aerial uh, overview of what the spot I call the corner pocket. That's 
18 years of what I would call craftsmanship. And if you ask anybody that's hunted with me, that's where I put you. And if you want to sit in a spot that feels like you're on an outfitted hunt, that's the spot. (laughs) And so it it is a good spot to hunt. And I I killed that wide eight point there. And it's not the best. Mm -hmm. But to me, it's like the most satisfying. Because when you sit there, you can see the logic behind why that food plot's there and why I let that grow there. And the year that I killed him was cut beans, but I mowed a transition strip over into from that to the lush bean clover, see him out in the field. He's looking for does one grunt. He comes right through the trail angles across the food plot. Bam. My buck I killed last year, several daylight pictures there coming from thick bedding He's now, they know, those bucks know, one, I got a great mock scrape right there. Well, it's a real scrape, right? But I put a grapevine there and I have before Jeff Sturgis made it famous. Um, They know to check that and they know that the does love to feed in that food plot. So if they're trying to pick up a trail, that's one of their first spots. They can do wind at their advantage, whether it's northerly or southerly. They can get it in their advantage depending on which way they decide to come through. There's bedding up there immediately adjacent to that pocket of food, which is in an inside classic inside corner. And then we have this three and a half acre field up on top. So I've now sort of partitioned that field, took the back end and planted a screen. And I probably will go from like a quick screen plot to a giant miscanthus or something like that. It's a little more permanent very Mm -hmm. soon. Uh, I'm just trying to figure out exactly how I want to shape it. This year was an experience. Uh, We had a guy drill some clover in, on the, all of the fields, but the cocklebur and the Johnson grass really took over. I think we can mow and maybe get the clover back on the south side. Yeah. If we can, I'll try to nurture the clover. If we can't, uh, I'm very close to reaching out and getting somebody that'll come in and plant and plant in a proper way. That's why we don't have a farmer on there anymore because gotcha. things got a little out of hand. Okay. Uh, we have a guy down the road that's more into regenerative practices and says he would use a cover plot and and all that stuff and if I f- help him fight the invasives if we could reclaim it that's probably the next strategy nice uh, let's get into uh, I want to dive into some specific stories uh, with uh, the farm with no name or with any other farm that has a name um, so <laughs> let's let's dive into the last few years I know I know that you've probably got some stories up your sleeve with the kids uh, your, yeah, your oldest daughter so some of those stories what, what kind of rises is, since we've met what stories stories kind of rise to the top for you? I, I got to tell the story from this year because as a father, it makes me as proud as I've, I could have imagined being of another human being. So um, she's, my daughter is 10, Cadence is 10. She would have been nine when she uh, killed her deer this year, which would have been uh, number five, I think, number five or six, second buck. She killed her first one when she was six. She's the oldest. She's grown up around it the longest. My wife was on a pretty impressive streak of her own. She killed 17 deer in a row. Yeah. Uh, 17 seasons in I a row had that. killed a deer. She's now since retired because I got my hands full of kids. <laughs> uh, so we're just going to put that one on the shelf. But um, Cadence has always kind of taken to it and she's very competitive. She's got a, she's kind of got my competitive spirit about her a little bit. And so she finds the challenge um, in motivating right? Mm-hmm. She likes to get out there and shoot and see how good a group she can get. And so from the, from the start, like sh- this has been a real thing for her and I, I'm hoping it'll carry through, but 
I will admit to doing it the way most of us do it, right? Golden acorns in a blind. It's effective and it is what it is. And Ohio is basically all that now, which is kind of why the farm with no name is struggling. Yeah. Um, ironically, she killed her buck this year uh, on the farm with no name. This is her second deer off of it. She killed her first buck off of it last year. Uh, I guess, yeah, five, three bucks and two does. She killed a buck off of it last year, which was her first deer ever. And uh, we did it the classic way, right? Put yeah. corn down. This year, uh, she said, I want to do it. I want to go on a real hunt. That's the way she framed it. <laughs> I said, okay, what's the real hunt look like? No blind, no corn. Oh. Now, this is a, you know, a nine-year-old girl telling me that's what a real hunt constitutes. And I said, I'm in. You, yep. Let's do it. So um, we waited on the right weather. We caught a really nice day. One thing about our farm is if you don't understand thermals, you will learn about them very quickly that wind direction on a weather channel or deer cast or whatever it is doesn't mean a daggone thing until you get down in and hunt some of these spots. 17, 18 years of doing that allows me to understand when's a good time to get into spots. And so, you know, a lot of times I'll teach you hunt high in the morning, hunt low in the evening, but we were going to have a, what I call like a vacuum kind of day, no real wind an immediate uh, sunshine warm and south. It's just going to suck up like somebody turned on an exhaust hood. And that's exactly what we got. So we hunted down on the intersection of the trail. The farm basically has two main haulers. I'm sitting here with a sticker on my, my glass that says up the hauler. So <laughs> you got a north-south running hauler we call the pond hauler. And then we have an east-west drainage, which is one of the main tributaries to a local small river. Okay. And it runs east-west, and it's almost exactly right with cardinal directions. And so it makes a big T. Okay. We were hunting on what would be the southeast side of the T okay. in that little part of the pie right there. There's a cluster of trees that I knew we'd be down on the ground, three or four of them we could hide. We still took the tripod or the, the, the field pod. We have a Caldwell field pod, put it on there. I just sat down right next to her, or right behind her basically behind the tree but where i could peek between her and see the trail and uh we i've been getting a lot of daylight pictures of good bucks there and it was number number third fourth time frame first week of november by and large and i've been getting a fair amount so i i figured we would see something and it was yeah. a little actually a little slow early on and then it's getting cold uh, we had to be out by i think 12 to go to a basketball game so around like 9 50 it's like okay we'll leave at 10 as soon as I say that, I hear a deer walking. And she's never really had an opportunity to see a deer interact with a call. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I, you know, he stops, looks, he's trying to figure out, he keeps walking. I hit him again with the grunt call, and I get him to stop and kind of turn and angle his body. And then he just stands there for a little bit. And he was already kind of past us a little bit. And I'm like, well, it's all right. But I could see my breath going straight up, right? So I'm like, we have basically everything to our advantage right now because he doesn't really know where it came from. And I, there's no way he's going to get our wind. Yeah. So I waited for him to kind of turn and look over his other shoulder again, like he was going to go back the way that he was already ahead. And as soon as he did that, I just real light grunted again. And he just turned around and walked straight off the hill and actually backtracked his way back up the hollow so that he could make the clean creek crossing rather than go through all the brush. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, so he took the easy way. Yeah. Came right across the creek. But rather than continue down the trail, he knew enough to turn and face us straight quartering on as soon as he got the edge of the brush. Mm. I have a nice little pocket in there. We're going to try to put some fruit trees in and put a small. It makes a perfect spot for a ground blind like that for those kind of days. And he was on us immediately. How far away? 
17 yards okay. on the ground and dead on us. And she was, we were where we needed to be to execute, but she was really quiet. And I'm watching my phone and it's 10 seconds, 30 seconds, 90 seconds. We're getting into the three, four, five minute mark and it's getting kind of tense. And I'm trying to talk to her all along, but I can't hear her. She never turns and looks at me. She never raises her voice. She never moves her finger. She just sits there for five and a half minutes. And the second that he turns and I said, kill him, he, I stopped him. And she absolutely executed a perfect shot. Per, I, all I said, you can hear that on the video, I say squeeze. And she just squeezes through. And I mean, just perfect. He goes 60 yards, falls over, cut the top of his heart off with a, one of those G5 Mega Meats out of that crossbow. And I'm here to tell you right now that that's a life skill because I couldn't keep, I couldn't hold it together when I was her age. That's part of why I wasn't, I was 17 years old, 18 years old before I killed my first deer. I missed 12 or whatever, some crazy number of deer because I just couldn't hold myself together. She and, and she has practiced enough to know, and she was aware enough in the situation to know that I can't turn my head. I can't raise my voice. I can't panic. And I know what shot angle I have to take. And when the moment was there, it was quick. She absolutely executed perfectly in the moment. And I'm like, that will carry you. That's a skill that will carry you through life. Yeah. Let alone help you kill deer. Yeah. But there's a lot of grown men, myself included. I missed a deer with a muzzler at 50 yards this year. And I have no excuse because I was just a head case. Yeah. And for a lot of reasons, that should have never been a problem, right? And I, in stark contrast to the way that she executed in the moment, I couldn't be any more proud of that. You, you look proud. Of that. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome, man. It's always cool. And that wasn't. There's some things that come naturally, but I also have to think there's probably some things that you had to teach her along the way: the practice in the backyard, the coaching, the yeah. letting them know, hey, you know, there's a <laughs> there's a time to move and there's a time not to move. When a deer's at 17 yards and has you pegged. You can't, yeah. you know, and that's the thing. I've tried to get away with stuff. I still make those mistakes. Nah, we so all do. To do those things. But yeah. That sounds like an awesome hunt. Yeah, so we all, just, we all what's her reaction when she, is she cool, calm, or does she kind of lose it afterwards? Yeah, she was, it, like, it was just a total adrenaline dump, and we were cold. Like, yeah, yeah it was good, but, yeah. I, 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 that one, that was our first real hunt. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and it makes me feel good, too, because I've struggled a little bit with my own relationship with things. Mm-hmm getting too invested in the work out there and thinking too much and expecting results that um, I didn't have control over at the end of the day. And so there was a rough stretch there where I'd really put too much of myself in what I was doing. And so my kids have totally reformulated and and the guys on the forum know this journey very well because I've been sharing it over the last 13 years. Mm -hmm. And we all have our relationship and we've seen things about there's the stages to being a hunter uh, my kids totally reshaped my relationship, not just with deer hunting, but with that farm in general. And so to go out and wing it, I was a better hunter when I knew less Yeah. because I was just in the moment reading the sign and making the best decision I could without too much yeah. in my mind. It feels so good when you can do that. That, yep. that was my experience this year on my yep. hunt was just, that's the first time for me that it's always, yep. like the last two bucks that I've killed have been... Just somebody's backyard, they told me a buck was there. Somebody took me on a hunt, and I just, and it was cool. You know, I mean, neither one of those hunts were over corn. Um, I did 
I, not that I'm against that or anything like yeah. that, but I think there's a different feeling. It is. Um, I, I have a recurve now. Yeah. I uh, got that in December, and I've been Struggle stick. <laughs> yeah. So I don't struggle with the target too much. Yeah. I don't know if I'll struggle with the deer. That, yeah, that remains right. to be seen. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I, I, uh, Trav and I were kicking around that idea, and he's like, well, an easy way to do it is just put out some of that yellow gold and uh-huh. uh, make it easy on that first time. Just cut yeah. your teeth. And I, I thought about doing that, and I thought, I just don't want to like and there's nothing if people want to do that that is perfectly fine i'm not saying that i wouldn't but for me it's like i think there'd be something pretty special about shooting my first deer with a recurve on natural movement 100 so totally respect uh i have been the classic joke is to say you're a masturbator right (laughs) right we just have to throw that out there because we all have we all appreciate good college humor yeah i again I'm 40 years old. I've been doing this for a while enough to, to have been doing things before it came all the rage while most guys were doing it that way. Now yeah. we're all just aware that everybody was doing that. But corn's been affected for a long time before it is what it is. I've almost always used it exclusively post-gun season except for the kids. Mm-hmm. We bait here. I don't bait at the farm. That's a little bit of my struggle there because everyone else does. Yeah. Um, this deer I missed here, I chose not to shoot with a muzzleloader over a corn pile. I chose to actually go pick a spot and kind of catch him halfway. Yeah. 150 yards to where I thought he was bedded, 150 yards where the corn was going. Yes, he was going to the corn, and I'm taking advantage of it. But I didn't just want to sit there in the blind and wait for him to show up. Ironically, had I done that, I probably don't miss. Yeah. Because I'm sitting there with shooting sticks, and I would have probably taken greater care. He would not have been moving. Mm-hmm. I missed partially because I looked at him too long. I thought too hard about it. He was way bigger than I thought he was. Ultimately, to this point, the biggest eight point I've ever seen in 20-some years of doing this. And I let him get me in a bind, and I I just tried to make a shot I probably should have repositioned for and taken my time, and I didn't. Uh, I have a friend on the forum, Brock. Shout out to you, bud, if you listen to this, who says enjoy aiming. (laughs) <laughs> I absolutely didn't it was pure agony and I rushed it and I missed a deer that gun hasn't missed a deer ever she's probably killed 25 deer with that deer my wife was 17 for 17 with that gun yeah. absolutely no excuse just hey it happens those are the ones that, that kind of haunt you a little bit they yeah, sting. yeah and so the only good thing is rough year in the woodlot a lot of big bucks died mm-hmm. he had a drop time mm-hmm. first legitimate I mean, 140-inch frame with a 6-inch drop time, 8-point I've ever had pictures of, I've ever really seen. I know they're out there. I've seen them, yep. but not myself. Yep, same. He could be bigger next year. Yeah. So I've kind of laid off the gas. Yeah. We still have a couple weeks. Yeah. I will shamelessly shoot that deer over corn pile with a bow in my hand if I can, just because I want to close the loop now without taking the chances. Mm-hmm. And I won't be ashamed to do it. But I also... When we roll around the next year, I'm going to take him on his own terms, and it's not going to be over the bait piles. I have a really good stand uh, that's 200 yards from there. That yeah. It doesn't matter. They're going to be there. Or they're corn or no corn, that deer would end up there anyways. It's interesting to me, like I just think about this, like the ways in which we make things harder on ourselves, but it's for a certain satisfaction level that we're going for. Because yeah. right. um, I've talked about bait a lot, and... Um, I don't know if I've said this on the podcast, but there was a girl, buddy of mine, his daughter went to hunt for the first time. And so we went on this hunt up on this hill, freezing cold, put her in a blind. I went up and I baited it. 
And last light, deer comes in, out of range, can't get her on it, and then we freeze to death coming down off the hill. I'm like, why did I make that so hard? Like, yeah, right. They live in town. Their experience is different than mine. I was like, I need to make this very simple. So I put corn in my backyard. I put her up in my play set. Three deer came in. She shot one. (laughs) Hit hit the doe back, but absolutely annihilated her with a a rage hypergumeric out of that crossbow. And she got her, and she was just thrilled. Right. But now... My six-year-old is shooting the crossbow and getting proficient with yeah, it. Yeah, good. But I'm just at this point where I'm like, I cannot put her in that play set and have her kill a deer in her backyard. I cannot let that be her first deer for her. Yep. It's fine for the other girl. It's a different situation. But for yeah. some, And I just thought, like, I don't know why I'm like that. Why do I want to make it harder? Yeah. But there's that reward for me that... For her, the memory, I want it to yeah. be in the woods, not, yeah. in the, not in the kid's play set. Right. You know? So it's... I don't know. It's just interesting to me the way that we... we set limits we set boundaries yeah. but usually it's because we want it want it to be a certain way yeah i mean there's a couple guys there's an og that comes to mind his name was hoot gibson um hoot did it the hard way mm-hmm. sticks and sinew and string and rocks and turkey feathers and it's to this day one of the most impressive things that i've witnessed brock that i've mentioned jamie's the same way um those guys are really good. Um, Brian Borhead is, is his name on there. He just built a beautiful set of arrows. He's still out there banging it out, slugging it out with a stick in his hand, trying to get it done the hard way. And I have a tremendous amount of respect for those guys. There's a, a tinge of me that wants to do that. Um, a guy from way back in the day that most guys won't remember it was Mall Skinner. We called him Molly for short. He actually gave me an antler-tipped recurve that was custom-built for him. And uh, I'm pretty sure it's a Black Widow. Wow. And only because I was starting to show some interest in wanting to do it the hard way, right? And it is supremely satisfying to, to fling arrows out of that thing. But I'm obsessed with the precision of a compound bow. <laughs> yeah. And not to the point that I'm Levi Morgan, right? right? Um, I don't even really shoot in leagues anymore. I just, I don't have a lot of time. I shoot a lot around here. I would consider myself a, a, a better than average pie plate archer, right? Yeah. I, I'm not really going to steal anybody's lunch, mate, uh, lunch money, but I can hold my own, yeah. right? Shooting spots. And, and um, there's just something about that precision and the constant tinkering. And that's the other thing I love about the forum. There are guys on there that are constantly tinkering. And I've had that. I've had, I don't have the new bow obsession. I've had the same Matthew switchback XT since 2007, nice. but continuous improvement on that bow has never stopped. Yeah. That's neat. I think it's interesting just the way, like you said, guys like to tinker guys like to get better at things that they're a part of um, passionate um, I want to go back to this a little bit with your, you keep talking about this being like a brotherhood, yeah. the, the, the Ohio outdoors. So yeah. um, part of this conversation that you and I are having, I, we've been doing a thing the last few, we're on week two now, called Bows and Bibles at the Bow Shop. Bow Shops let us come in on Tuesday nights, and um, we start with a little Bible thing, kind of talk about what it means to be a person of integrity, yep. and then uh, we did a three-spot shoot the first time, and then you mentioned the pie plate. We literally had a pie plate shoot last night, so there was a, <laughs> yeah. a plate, and then we had a cup and a Dixie cup, and uh, man, it was just fun. We're starting to get yeah. to know each other a little bit Good. better. We'll talk a little bit about the importance for you of just kind of that group, and I mean, you've already kind of hit on this a little bit, but I yeah. think we can get a little bit deeper on right. it, but uh, kind of touch on that a little bit. Yeah, so, I mean, a lot of this is embedded in a little bit of what I reached out to you 
to talk about. Um, I guess I want to start with a couple of disclaimers because okay. I, want, I definitely want to dig into that. Um, I recognize the value in your mission and being faith-based in what you're teaching because I recognize the value in, in fellowship and, and brotherhood. Um, there are a lot of people that probably presume I am a Christian and I'm somewhat agnostic. I'm kind of one of those really in the middle till still figuring out even at 40 years old where right. I fall in the spectrum. My grandfather was a preacher. I'm no stranger to the word and having been around it. Um, my wife was raised Catholic, but um, we didn't go to church a lot when I was growing up. And so we were always sort of encouraged to sort it out and think through it ourselves. And mm -hmm. Um, I've just never been someone who's really taking that full like leap of faith yeah. question, right? But I've always recognized the value in being a good human being and have good Christian principles, and I support those things. I 100% support what you're teaching and what you're trying to accomplish with your podcast. We're trying to do the same thing for, as I affectionately say, the degenerates and, <laughs> and, and so on and so forth through the Ohio Outdoors there are a lot of men of very strong faith there. Some of my best friends are men of faith, and we have this conversation, and there's a lot of encouragement for me to shape my thinking. And uh, there are guys that are just very much in line where, where I'm at, where we're just sort of in the middle. What we're lacking for us right now is this bond and brotherhood and fellowship and things to, to coalesce around and support yeah. which is, I think, the basis of a, a lot of faith in the community that's built around the church. And so um, we have a very, very similar thing to that sort of absent than the Bible portion of your Bose to Bibles, right? right? We've bonded around the Bose portion, accomplishing almost all of the same good human, good principle-based things that matter for men and friendship, fellowship, etc. in a, just a different take. Yeah. And so um, don't hear a lot of people really professing my, my position, which is why I say I'm still not sure whether it's something I should be proud of or I should, but it's always a continual thing of work and process, right? And so I would not consider myself a denier. I would not consider myself a believer. I'm somewhere in this middle, middle space. Yeah. But I think I've somewhat stayed there because I figured out this bond and fellowship with my brothers of the bow and I do teach my kids. My wife is raising my kids Catholic. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm not sort of teaching in any one direction, right? I quite literally am agnostic. Okay. I kind of sit on the sidelines and say, you, as you shape them in this way, the way you want to, what matters to me is being a good human being. Yeah. So I have this weird relationship where I really believe deeply in the principles that you're teaching. I just come at it from a, a really different angle. Yeah. I respect that. Um, so whenever you, you sent me a message, it, it kind of led to this. I thought, this is interesting to me because there are different takes. Um, there are some different types of agnostics that I've talked to before. What I refer to a lot of times, there's atheists and there's angry atheists. Yeah, right. Um, the the <laughs> yeah. atheists that say, I'm terrible for believing what I believe and it's going to lead to the downfall of human. And I'm just like, ah, okay. Um, so that's not you. Yeah. Um, nope. So not angry atheists, but agnostics. I, I think what... I hear you saying a little bit, and, and I, I recognize this too. Growing up in church, um, there was a point in church whenever, I mean, we'd go and I enjoyed it and we had fun and it was it was good. I, I had a pretty active uh, youth group, and so we'd do Sunday mornings and stuff like that, but it was fine. 
But at a certain point, one of my buddies said, why don't we start doing like small groups? Let's get together on like Sunday night. Let's get away from the building. Let's get away from class. And let's just get together and do our own thing. And that kind of changed everything for me. Yeah. Um, because it was no longer a Sunday morning, mom and dad's taking us. It was like our own initiative. Like the, other, the, the church itself had never even done small groups. Our teen group was the first one to ever do that. And I just remember like the bonding and the connection, the camaraderie yeah. of just getting together in somebody's house, eating pizza, singing songs, doing a little lesson. That's where I cut my teeth on speaking and singing. And my singing's not very good, but it's, yeah, it's gotten right. better. And that's where you learn. Yep. But what I, I hear you saying is that the total, not the total, the, the Ohio Outdoors has been kind of that for you in some ways, that connection. It seems like maybe there's something built into us, maybe wanting a little bit more of, of that connection. Yeah, um, Sebastian Younger wrote the book Tribe. I don't know okay. if you've read I've that heard or not. That. I've heard yeah, of it. Yeah. It's definitely worth the read. And it's I think it's something something man's longing for belonging or something. There's some sort of tagline to the yeah. name of that book, but in essence, that we have this desire to have a tribe. And um, yeah, and for me and a lot of different right uh, dozens, if not over a hundred guys, have found similar bonds. I mean, they're quite literally are, are now brothers raising families next to one another and so it's integrated now down to the wives and the children and it's just grown beyond it's grown in the very same way that a church community would grow and we didn't have that when I was growing up right I've always sort of been social and I like to stay at the party and my parents always kind of wanted to go home and because we weren't going to church there wasn't a group Mm -hmm. necessarily Um, sports was its own thing but I never felt deeply connected in a fellowship way in sports, mm-hmm. I think at any point, in the way that I have since felt being connected to these guys through the passions that we have about the outdoors, which then has allowed us to grow friendships with wives and kids, et cetera, right? And it just yeah. creates this whole new bond. And so, yeah, it's filled that sort of longing and gap that I lacked. Mm-hmm. And then there's that whole other respect of like, jumping headlong in and professing faith and like yeah. claiming that as the marker. Yeah. Whereas like, I, I, again, I, intrinsically I feel that yeah. very much. I think the second part that I see in you um, is since I've met you, you've had this desire to help the community. Mm-hmm. So we met on an economic, economic development committee that yeah. I, I had no business being on. I uh, just showed up. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but, no, you I did. Mean, but, <laughs> don't say yourself short. Yeah. But it was just one of those things where it was a place to try and better the community. We're researching, thinking about ways to do that. Now your job is part of that. Yeah. And so I, I see those two things, which are supposed to be part of churches, but aren't mm-hmm. always. Um, sometimes it's just a Sunday morning gathering. People don't get into each other's lives. We're supposed to be doing good things. The Bible tells us yeah. that. But sometimes we get so preoccupied with ourselves that we don't, right. much like the farm with no name, we don't cultivate anything. We right. just hope that the world's a better place and we end up with Great point. weeds that yeah. Uh, yeah. aren't beneficial to, the, to what we're going for. So I don't know. So I, I see that in you too, which is, I think is a really good thing. Yeah. Um, this is the hippie woo-woo stuff, right? It's yeah. the karmic conversation about... Yeah. I have a deeply held belief that we our intent on this earth is to leave it better than we found it, which right is a Christian principle with many different stories, yeah. right? And so I believe in the teaching, but I just believe in it more from practice, okay. right? I see uh, do unto others as you would have undone to yourself or, you know, I'm not quite verbatim there, but I'm close, right? Yeah. That's real. Mm-hmm. There's real energy in that. 
Now that's that far hippie, you know, witch yeah, doctor yeah. stuff. But sure. I really, truly believe in my soul that you get out of life what you put into it. Mm-hmm. And I've experienced that in a totally different way after losing my job in the oil field after 10 years and, and, ha- and being forced to recreate my career path at a time where I was already, I'd just become a father. I was already questioning like, what am I doing with my career trajectory? Do I really want to do this forever? Who and what am I working for? Um, that I had the opportunity to take jobs that showed me that I could work for my community. And I could leave it better than I found it, which was, you know, one of my dad's primary teachings. Again, that didn't happen on Sunday. That was just an everyday thing, which was taught to him by his father, who I was hoping that I had a book for you. But my grandfather, Herbert L. Roush Sr., wrote a book called Jesus Loves Me. Hmm. I mean, he's a published author. And so that was some of my influence, really, growing up. Um, We had things called meetings, where it was really just the family getting together to do those things. And uh, my grandpa was big on helping the community. Um, that's something that I definitely saw when I was growing up. And so when I had the opportunity then to turn my career that direction, it was an instant satisfaction. Um, and the fact that, let's be honest, we're in the house I grew up in. My wife's family's been here since the 1800s. My family's been in the Appalachian region for a long time. We're two miles from the schools I went to. I'm not going anywhere. Mm -hmm. I better work towards leaving my community better than I found it while I can on behalf of my three kids because I can't complain if I don't do anything about it. And then I just happen to find myself in this position where every day I have an opportunity to to make a difference and leave it better than I found it. And you're doing the same thing, right? And this community is full of people, but we don't have enough. And... I don't necessarily care if a person comes at it through the lens of the Bible or just being a good human being. Mm-hmm. Leave it better than you found it. Find a place to leverage your talent, skills, and resources and make a difference. Yeah. yeah I can connect with you on that point. I think that's it, – it's a – whatever your angle, I think it's good to come at it that way, to look at it and say, okay, what am I going to leave this as? Um, I think sometimes – Within churches, what I've seen is sometimes churches can get so inward focused that they don't look outward. And that's something we've pushed in our church to be like, wait a second, this is not... (laughs) Uh, Our steeple fell down that we had one time. And I noticed, I was like, whenever it fell down, I I got up the next Sunday and I said, you guys noticed that that steeple was pointed up, which is good. That's where our focus needs to be. But when it fell down, it pointed toward the city of Belfry. And I was like, I think that's also where we need to have some focus too. (laughs) It's a finger kind of like, hey, there's this entire town right here. You're on the outskirts of. What can we do here? and we might have different motivations behind that, but we share that that commonality. So let me ask you a question, just out of curiosity. Well, first off, we sh- we skipped one question. Yeah. Uh, define agnostic, because I think there's there's some guys that might not know exactly what that okay. is. Yeah. So define <laughs> that, and then I'll have a couple of questions to kind of close out with. For me, I'm going to define it through my lens, and I've obviously... Googled it, asked Mr. Webster what the technical <laughs> definition is. What am I? Yeah. Where do I fall on this spectrum? I have always sort of ebbed and flowed from what I would say the direct middle of being a believer and a denier. Mm-hmm. I've been in this middle space. I've always sort of trended towards the believer side. Okay. Right? I've never really went the denier side. Okay. I recognize that there's definitely forces in this universe that are way bigger than us. And this is just not happenstance. Okay. Um, I think where my disconnect is more around 
the Bible itself and sort of the word and man's interruption and manipulation of the word. And I'm, I'm a skeptic by nature, right? We could go down some tinfoil lanes. Like I've all, I'm just intrinsically wired kind of like that. So I've always been questioning certain stories. Uh, I never believed in Santa Claus and I'm not trying to be facetious here or make light of anything. Yeah. But that, I think just, I say that to say that that's how I've always been wired. Yeah, I question, just question things. I've always been very questioning, and which is why today my job is to solve problems. Yeah, because I'm very good at asking questions and flipping over the rocks and figuring things out. And so I've always been in this sort of introspective space and thinking about that. And so I definitely recognize bigger things than me, mm. but I have never made the full-on leap to saying, "Here is the good book." I've placed my hand upon it. I've professed and made an allegiance to a particular group. Right. Just have never quite made it there. Right. And I've experimented with difference and I don't want to pick on any one denomination or church, but I've sampled a few, Mm -hmm. many, only one person has ever really sort of got to get me towards that other end of the spectrum of, of professing faith. Yeah. And I'll be honest, I tried, and it felt a little contrived because I wasn't sure who or what was going on at the time. And I was probably 23 or 24 at the time. Mm-hmm. And it didn't feel natural. Yeah. And I, I was disappointed by that, right? Like, I don't know if I expected this like light in the sky revelation <laughs> moment, right? I don't really think that's what I was looking for. But I think I was looking for, and, and now I'm going to say I'm a guilty millennial of instant gratification, right? Yeah. But there was just sort of this, there was this moment in a tree standing in the woods where I really felt, it was, it was the kind of the proverbial down on your knees moment. And then I didn't feel any different. And that sort of then left me in this space that I've been in for probably 15 or 16 years. I'm very respectful of people who believe. I'm very supportive of my wife and, and their culture. And that means deeply ingrained Catholic community. And my kids are going to come up that way. All I asked was that Allow my kids to think freely. Yeah. Let them think through it. And That's as long as they're not going off the rails yeah. to this like hateful let's go down, become atheist. satanic or anything. Yeah, but, like let's be real. Yeah. I definitely have no space in my mind for that. Yeah. I think that's crazy behavior. Yeah. Right? So, which leaves me on sort of this angelic side of it. <laughs> right. There's a little halo out there. There's a tiny one, right? <laughs> but I don't know if I have just always no. Again, I, I want to point out the fact that I don't necessarily say this with pride. I just say this with a, de- a genuine honesty that it just is where I'm at. And, and I reached out to you because when I saw the bows and Bibles, I said, I love bows. And I get it. I, I know why. I know what the mission and, and belief is behind it. I wonder what he thinks about and what others would think about sort of this middle ground. There's certainly people out there that feel, I know they do because I know those guys on the Ohio outdoors that are, are feeling me right now. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of guys that believe in a higher power. So where there's a disconnect that I see and I've experienced myself, you know, I've had to work through a lot of this stuff in different ways over the years, um, different background, but similar uh, my mom was catholic actually yeah i grew up catholic uh, for until she was like 19 20 years old so different different influences but what i see a lot of disconnect is okay what do i do with the bible okay so yep. how does this story fit together these 66 books and all this stuff and then you get on the history channel and the history channel is like the forgotten books that weren't included <laughs> and all that stuff 
Yeah. So there's a disconnect with, okay, if it's the Word of God, how do we get it? Is it accurate? Two, the church, what do you do with that? Yeah. That monster of a thing that's supposed to be a good thing, but is sometimes not. Um, there's there's churches that are inward focused, no focus, angry, yelling. Yeah. They're the picture that you see on the news, and it's just like, are they all like that? Is there any church? And if there is a church that's supposed is trying to follow the Bible, um, the best that they can. How in the heck do you even find that out without having to go through thirty bad experiences? Right. So I get I I get that part of it too. Yeah. You know, that that's. Yeah. And there's also, okay. So if there's a higher power, which one? <laughs> and how do you know? Yeah. How do you rationalize and figure those kind of things out? And that's a wrestling. That, that really is. Yeah. So I, I get that part. Yeah, it's the, what's it look like and what what is it like and what's he look like or or her or mm-hmm. you know whatever right? How do you yeah. think through that whole, whole thing? Um, I struggle with that more than some people, right? and, and I fully support again the principles around everything. Um, in the, that's where I think, in some ways, the forum has enabled that thinking to continue along, right? If I don't find the fellowship there, I'm not sure where I would have found it. And the church makes a logical decision on where to find it because I do see things, particularly with my wife being from church town and folks that listen to this locally don't know where that's at. They really value family and, and togetherness in a way that I didn't, again, did not really experience growing up. And yeah. so... I mean, family was important. We just did it differently. Um, They do it at scale, and it's a damn good time, right? And so um, that was a different exposure to me. I really enjoyed the big family environment, and and it just – that part of their fellowship was very attractive as well. Um, However, no one would have converted me in a Catholic church. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, I understand. Right, I understand that. It it would take a – it's going to – Obviously, it's going to take a <laughs> it's going to take a little bit. Yeah. And uh, well, I didn't I didn't expect to convert you in one podcast. So I have to come back. <laughs> Good pressure's on. <laughs> Good. No, Jesse. I seriously, I appreciate your heart being willing to, to have the conversation. And I think we're all at different points. I even think people who are in faith are at different points. Yeah. We all have this lofty idea of somebody being like a, a monk or a Mother Teresa or right. some sort of holy. And, and I'm. I just look back on my life and the things that have happened that have caused me to question or to search, yep. um, losing loved ones, things like that. That'll definitely make you do some introspective yep. reflection. And I, and I think as long as we keep progressing on the journey, yep. you know, we keep learning. Um, it's interesting. The other thing you talk about that come to Jesus moment or on the tree stand kind of thing. Like my wife is very much an intellectual, yep. so she, for her. For me, it was very emotional. You know, yeah. I'm an emotional guy, so I just remember there was this guy that spoke, and I remember I had believed for a while, but I was also kind of afraid of hell. So there was those yeah, two, right. two, <laughs> two factors going whenever I was 11. But I knew enough, and I just remember this guy spoke, and something hit me emotionally. I'm like, this is it. And I, got, I went home and told my dad. It's Father's Day. My dad baptized me in the Christ, and so it was a great feeling. But it, it, And I remember the feeling. And a lot and over the years, I watched people. You know, there'd be the altar call and this emotional response that they yeah. got. And my wife was not that way. Right. She's not that emotional of a lady. She read a book. The book said this is what she should do. She believed in it, and she's like, "All right, this is what yeah. I do." And so there wasn't that like whole crying like thing that you see on TV or anything like that for her. 
So I think it's interesting to me, it's maybe we're wired differently in our responses to that, and maybe we each have different things. That's just my side of it. Yeah, no, no, it's it's very relatable and um, and very sensible, right? We all get to where we get in different ways. Yeah. Doesn't really necessarily matter, right, what the the North Star is. Yeah. I mean, it matters in the positive, right, being the good human sense. But if you're on that trajectory and you have some sort of North Star that's taking you on that path. Yeah on a path of being a good human, delivering positive results, leaving things better than you found it, follow your star, Yeah. right? It's kind of where I follow on things. And um, yeah, everybody gets to it in different ways. And so um, fair enough. the forum makes a good offshoot for a lot of that and it exposes you to a lot of good people. And yeah. um, I appreciate you just having the opportunity to have me on and talk about things. Is it okay if I flip the script and interview the interviewer? Absolutely. So what Cadence was asking me here and I about, um, you know, one know that you were a real human being, one to know <laughs> like were you married and so on and so forth. So I, I Googled, you know, I Facebook creeped you and I showed her the picture of your buck, amazing buck. And I told her, I said, he did it the real way <laughs> to take her words from her mouth. And I said, that was a very real hunt. And so he put in the work, he found the spot. Um, I almost steal your thunder on telling the whole story. No, right. No, no, but no. I wanted to express appreciation and, and ask you, you definitely seem to have a very um, tactical approach to that, which is something I appreciate from, from just a, being an operations minded person, right. About how you went forward with that plan, how you yeah. put your plan in place and executed Forget about shooting the deer part. It's a great deer. Very awesome. The work that I'm interested in, your feedback in, is just what led up to the yes moment. Because there are a lot of guys, I think, that struggle with that. Yeah. Man, no, I appreciate you asking that. That's that's interesting. So this all started back at church. So I'm going to start at church. Perfect. Close that loop. (laughs) My first year here, um, I obviously was, uh, we were living in like uh, I moved, let me back up, I lived in North Canton. I would hunt my wife's grandparents. That's where I got my addiction to bow hunting. Before that, I was always just a gun hunter on deer drives. Um, and then moved down here, and I'm like, I got to find some places. And we bought a place, three acres. Not very much to hunt there. Big hill. I don't own very hardly any woods. So right off the bat, I met a guy at church, and super friendly guy, great family. And he gave me the green light to come hunt his place. And so I went over, and I, I think I shot a deer, like, the first time from the ground. I lost the deer. And incidentally, that spot is about a quarter mile from where I shot my buck this year. Okay. So fast forward a little bit. I've hunted that property, and that property leads to a landlocked property across the creek. And I've gotten permission from the various owners over the years. Nobody's ever been able to sell it. It's landlocked. It's not very big, like yeah. 30 or 40 acres. But I, I discovered over time that that valley where the two properties met, was just an awesome. I saw more bucks than I ever saw. Uh, me and my buddy Travis Shire, uh, one morning, November morning, I think we saw seven to ten bucks cruising yeah. this thing, chasing. I missed a, a nice old buck shot right underneath of his belly. And I was like, this is it. This is the spot. The very next year, these guys um, on another neighboring property put a high fence around about 200 acres. Mm. And uh, that changed everything. That changed right. the motion. That changed the movement. And it's taken me about another four or five years to kind of figure out how deer move. Yeah. But in the meantime, I kept up going up on this hill that I just entitled the Amish property. Amish people used to own it. They don't anymore. Yeah. And I would go up there and I'd have still have pretty good encounters. Saw some nice bucks. Um, 
shot a buck in muzzleloader season there two years ago. Shot a buck, thought I killed it, hit him low. Um, I think that was two years ago too. Yeah, same year. And so whenever I shot that buck uh, that I hit low uh, with my bow, um, I grunted him in. I was so jacked. He wasn't very big at all. But I, I grunted, rattled, and this buck came up. And I was just like, there he is. And I drew. And it was like 15 yards chip shot. And I just held too low. I thought I smoked him. I did the celebration. Called my butt. Called buddies. And then I jumped, jumped him. Where I jumped him, I got permission from uh, the next property over to go and, and track that deer. Yeah. And that's a funny little side story. I tracked that deer for a little while. I realized I needed to get permission. And so I backed out. Called these people. I couldn't get a hold of them. And so I'm like, I got to drive over there. I was like, I got to get permission to go further and see if he's over there tomorrow. So on my way out my road, I'm driving and not paying attention the way that I should. And all of a sudden, an eight-point buck comes across, and I absolutely smashed it with my CRV. Um, didn't find that buck. <laughs> and the next day, I didn't find the other buck. But what that did was it at least gave me a connection to the, this landowner. I, yeah. I've gone back now, I think it was three years in the making, trying to get permission to turkey hunt and I, I met the wife one time and she didn't seem overly happy that i was there maybe it was just the day i don't yeah. know but i've just kind of gotten the cold shoulder of like yeah. okay i'm never gonna be able to hunt that property so i dropped it until this year end of the end of october i was um coming into october and i was just in middle middle i think it's middle of october i thought i don't think i've ever asked them if, if i should uh, maybe i just send them a message yeah Found them on Facebook, sent them a message, and they said, nobody's hunting it. Yeah, you can hunt it this year. You can do and if you see anybody, tell them they're not allowed to be there. Best case scenario. So <laughs> that's what it was. It was yeah. And so I don't know that it was It was just property led to a property that led to me eventually being like, hey, you need to keep asking. Yeah. I mean, what's the worst they can do? Is, it's a no if you don't ask. Exactly. So they eventually said yes. I realized that the one side of the property that I was on by hanging a cell cam there, got so much traffic. Guy yeah. drove his uh, dune buggy up at squirrel hunters, um, dogs running out. I'm like, this yeah. is not good. So on a whim, on a uh, October, no, it was November 2nd, I was like, I'm going to go over scout this other side, see what it's like. And I found 12 scrapes. Yeah. Scrape after scrape after scrape leading down this ridge. And this ridge leads to a spot nobody can hunt. Yeah. And I'm just like, I got to hunt this in the morning. Right. Like this scrape, I know, I don't know a lot about scrape hunting. I just know that it kind of dries up a little bit during the rut because they start focusing on the does. I'm like, this is November 3rd. I've got to get in here. And he came in and that was, that was it. So That's awesome. That was the most, I will say this, definitely the most satisfying buck I've ever shot. Yeah, far, for sure. So far, just because of what you talked about. The, yeah. the effort put in, it wasn't like I'd put in a food plot or anything, but it was the scouting learning, calling, figuring all that stuff out over the few Persistence. years. So, and I'd look at Onyx and pick a spot, and yeah. that led to the scrapes. And so, yeah. It was good. No, so I'll be honest. That, I mean, kind of inspired me to think back to that statement of, like, I was probably a better hunter when I knew less. Yeah. Um, I think very much about exploring the woods here and the opportunities. And one of the guys that was at the Boast of Bibles uh, the other night lives very close to here. We know a lot of the same deer. We're staring at a shed. Yeah. Uh, I have the shed from four and a half. He has the shed from... I, I. My opinion is that's three and a half shed. He has four and a half antlers. They think maybe he's a little older, but yeah. I think they've had longer 
Okay. They've had pictures a little longer. I went back and looked at the pictures again. He could have been four this year, but he's a mass. He's got a lot of mass. It's a, nice it's a good deer, yeah. And mm-hmm. so, um, yeah, you you see that that back then, mm-hmm. there's been like twenty houses built on this road, mm-hmm. and I had run of the woods back then, and so I just stumbled my way mm-hmm. on to really good my deer. My dad killed. I killed my first really big buck in in two thousand and four. Mm-hmm. Actually, just across the road and down about a half a mile. Mm-hmm. The first deer I ever had a trail cam picture on an old 35 millimeter Moultrie. And you and I were reminiscing about old trail cam oh, yes. data and tra- all that stuff earlier. But uh, yeah, uh, my wife now bought me a film camera. I got one picture on that camera. It was him on this side of the road, almost exactly the same width down the road. And there's a nice mm-hmm. saddle there, so very convenient. There's now houses in the middle of it, right? So, um, yeah, over the years, this has just been a good spot. And when I could roam more, I was just hunting fresh sign. And, you know, it was just a little easier. So when I saw you kind of go in fresh but with awareness, right, and and a knowledge of the the ground and past experience, and you put that together with technology through Onyx Maps, and you made a very smart real-time decision I was like, man, I kind of miss doing that, you know? And that's what I got with Cadence, yeah. you know, sort of to circle back and close that loop too. Um, it felt really good. I know it was just a small buck, but it was like, in the back of my mind, like, we just made a call yeah. and it worked. And that's the way it used to be when I didn't have too much to think about. <laughs> Sometimes we can think too much. The cameras mess with us. And, you know, this, I mean, cameras are fun. They have their place, but it's just like, I don't know, just something about going out there and figuring it out. I, the doe I shot this year was another one of those stories where I, I sent out letters, got permission on yeah. one major farm, and I've hunted a few times and just struck out last year, struck out, struck out, struck out, but I I noted what the does did, yeah. and uh, this year I went over, and I was going to hunt this spot, but there was deer already out in the field, Great. so I had to, I was like, I'm going to slide down this spot. They sometimes come down there, and sure enough, shot a doe from the ground and got my meat in the freezer early on, so it's, it's rewarding, and I want to... I'm I'm leaning more and more toward like continuing that style. Yeah. Like, you know, just reading the sign. I now know in my mind, I talked to my buddy Trav the other day about this. I'm really excited for next year. I got permission, exclusive permission on the property where I shot my buck. I've already yeah. asked for next year. Awesome. Like, yeah, you can have you you can have run the mill. I'm like, good. Perfect. And the bucks that are on camera there are phenomenal. Some of the biggest I've had. So it's just yeah. like I've got some spots and I'm excited about it. So yeah. it's a good thing. Yeah, it's it feels satisfying to, have, to know kind of ahead of time where you think you're going to go instead of always worrying in the moment. And it, it can all fall apart. <laughs> yeah, right? It can all fall apart. You no. know, somebody can put in a high fence. Yeah, or, you know, true. I, very yeah, true. I still have to make the yeah. shot. But, uh, so. it, let's be real. Corn piles has totally changed the nature of hunting around our farm. Yep. Just surrounded by it. Back in the back in the day, 2005, time frame, pressure wasn't nearly what it was. We've had some leasing corn on the ground yeah. uh it changes the way deer move ohio is has been for a long time famous for big bucks mm-hmm. we're now famous for baiting and killing big bucks that's true if you listen to a variety of the podcasts out there everybody knows you can pile corn in ohio and that's just the way we do business these days and yeah. everybody can say what they want to say about it there's no denying, no matter which side of the spectrum you're on and what your opinion is about it, that it's changed the landscape. Oh, for sure. Definitely has. Yeah, definitely has. So, well, I want to ask you this to wrap up. It yep. is, as we record this, January 25th. Have you started thinking about turkeys yet? 
Oh man, good question. Yeah, just a little bit when we were out, when I was getting ready for you to come over tonight. I had to put some stuff, take some stuff off this table we're sitting at and put it in my workshop. And I saw my turkey vest there. Man, turkeys have kind of grown on me over the years, and uh, I missed out a lot because no one in my family turkey hunts. So I'm definitely a late bloomer in that regard. Yeah, same. Got a pretty good property for it. It's good for deer. It's also very good for turkey. Um, but being self-taught, right, there's some stiff learning curves and we don't have the best stuff. We're in the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. So we had some difficulties in terms of like strut zones and places they really want to be and, and, and roost trees. A lot of our roost, good roost trees are on the peripheral of the property. Okay. So we lose a lot of pitch and birds to other properties. And mm-hmm. I'm impatient as I'll get out. If I can sit in a tree stand all fall holding my bow nice and still, when spring comes, I'm running and gunning. There yep. is no sit and wait. Yeah. I don't hunt turkeys from a blind. <laughs> I don't hunt turkeys past 10 o'clock if they're not gobbling. I'm just one of those guys. Um, and so, yeah, over the years, I picked up a little Stevens 410 mm-hmm. that uh, is, is fun. And yep. I, I bought some I'll of love the, that thing. The, I have the same one. Yeah, I bought some of the good shells, the TSS forums, and it, like it doesn't beat you down or drag it around. And there's just something about being in the woods in the spring. So, yeah, it's already on my mind. I got a diaphragm and call in the console of the truck went in there last weekend so i'm the weird guy in traffic calling up turkeys oh, yeah. yeah last year i was doing elk calls that way but yeah i need to get that. yeah that'll get your attention too <laughs> oh, that's awesome man well jesse i enjoyed uh enjoyed the conversation hearing about what's going on with the farm and some of the hunts and getting the kids involved and uh, thanks for being open with the conversation and thanks for having me over man i enjoyed it Thank you for having me on. Um, my parting message would just be for people to think about being a good human being, right? Think about why you do it. Leave it better than you found it. And as long as your North Star's on target, we'll all be in a better position. Absolutely. One last thing. Tell guys where they can check out uh, the Ohio Outdoors. Yeah. So, unfortunately, community guidelines being what they are, our Instagram is in jail right now. Oh, so, man. you can find us on The Ohio Outdoors. Um, if you at The Ohio Outdoors on Facebook, you can find us. Google TheOhioOutdoors.com. You will find us there. Um, we've got a couple, about seven podcasts, actually, on YouTube. Again, you can look up our YouTube. Uh, as I told Travis before we started, I told you um, that I... Don't enjoy being a producer, so you've now got the hard job. <laughs> I like being a guest a whole lot better. So if you guys want to listen to us, that's great. We would love certainly to have new members. Like I said, if you've got an interest of any sort, you can get an answer there. This is a really fun time of year because guys are doing all the cabin fever things. So mm-hmm. if you're into prepping and homesteading and all that, there's a lot to learn right now. Awesome, man. Well, go check that out. Jesse, thanks, man. Appreciate it. Appreciate you. Thank you. Enjoyed uh, sitting down face-to-face with Jesse. I don't get to do that very often. Usually it's over Zoom, and uh, so it was cool just to be in his basement hanging out. Loved hearing his stories. That story about his daughter's hunt was absolutely awesome. It really has me thinking a lot about what I want next season and cell cams and fair chase and corn and all that kind of stuff. You know, there's a lot of conversations around that right now, and uh, it has me thinking. But what got me thinking the most was obviously our conversation kind of there toward the end. Uh, in fact, the part of the initiation of this podcast was Jesse kind of bringing that up. And I just want to first say I really appreciate uh, his angle on that. Um, being agnostic, uh, I've ran into people before that are very uh, abrasive, um, very angry toward Christianity, angry towards church, um, and, and I don't get that sense from Jesse. 
Um, he was respectful, and I thought it was a really good conversation. I was trying not to pull too hard or push too hard. I wanted to hear his side. And, and I think that's an important thing to do when we're in conversations like that is to try and find common ground. And Jesse and I definitely have common ground in two main areas. We have common ground in the need for community. Um, he finds that in the Ohio outdoors, and I've found uh, my community within the church, my family uh, that I consider being a part of. And then the other part uh, is just leaving the world a better place than you found it. And, and I think that that is definitely a principle that I, I look at and I think, okay, what can I do to bless others? That's the language that I use um, because I've been blessed, tremendously blessed by God. Um, and so, and, and that's maybe where we, we kind of take our split. And there's, I don't see Jesse being anti-Christian. I think he's on a path and um, we're all on a path. You know, I, I believed in God since I was a young kid and then gave my life to God whenever I was 11 years old, but didn't really dedicate myself to faith until I was a sophomore in high school. And then over the years, I mean, I've had ups and downs, in and outs, moments where I, yeah, I'm, I'm a Christian, but maybe I'm not living like it. I've had moments where I've, what people would call hypocrisy, I've lived that way at times. Um, but in recent years, um, I've kind of dedicated myself to what I believe is is what God would want me to do. And and so we're all on a path. Um, what I appreciate about Jesse and what I want to share with you, this verse popped in my mind, Psalm 14.1 from David. He says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. <laughs> David doesn't hold any punches. He says, the fool says there is no God. And so what I appreciate about Jesse is that he's not a fool. He recognizes that there definitely has to be some sort of higher power. He's just unsure about it. And I, you know, in, in a lot of ways, I get that. You know, I think there's a lot of guys that listen to this podcast potentially that maybe you're in the same boat. You know, you go to the woods because you know that it connects you with a higher power. But how in the world do you decide what that actually is? How do you know what that is? Um, you know, churches make that a little complicated sometimes. Uh, also, you know, do you follow the Bible? Do you follow the Quran? Do you follow the Book of Mormon? Which one's right? Are you, and, and so I think that's why some people just, you know, it, it all must be right. But then whenever you get to look in, you're like, well, they contradict each other. <laughs> so they can't all be right. We have to kind of look and, and use our minds to think. And so this is where I come at. Um, if you believe that there is a God, I think that that's a good first step. Um, I think that's a good direction to go in. What I would do if I was in Jesse's shoes or an, an encourage Jesse or anybody listening is if there is a God and he was detailed enough to make this world and powerful enough to make this world, ask this question. Would that God not want to let me know a little bit about who he is if he is a he? <laughs> would he not find some way to communicate with us his creation? If, if the world is designed for humans and life to live in and somebody created that, why would they, I'm just thinking rationally, why would they make it, set it into existence, and then just back away and watch it implode in the way that it has? You also have to ask questions like, okay, where does good and evil come from? There are good things. There are really good things that happen. There's also things that happen that you're like, man, that could not have been chance. You know, we've talked about those things on the podcast. So if those things are happening, maybe the thing to ask is, okay, if there is a God, how would he have revealed himself? And second, if there is a higher power and he can hear you, then maybe you might just ask a prayer. The prayer I would pray is, God, I don't know if you are real or who you are. I believe that there is a higher power. And if you are real, then would you show me who you are? Um, if I'm supposed to know more than just believing that you exist, if I'm supposed to take some other steps, I'm not asking for some emotional experience, some crazy like, 
fall down on my knees, although that could happen. I believe those things can happen. I'm not discounting that. But uh, like Jesse said, it's it's not. There's never been one moment that's just kind of pulled him. But maybe it's a slow, slowly taking steps in that direction. Maybe there's a come to moment, Jesus moment kind of thing that happens. But um, I just encourage you, if you're if that's where you are, there's nothing wrong with throwing up a, a hail mary. <laughs> there's nothing wrong with saying, God, I am open to finding out about more of who you are. Maybe that's conversations with a buddy. Maybe it's you pick up the Bible, and maybe you pick up some books on the Bible. How did we even get the Bible? Um, Give you a quick resource, Evidence That Demands a Verdict by Josh McDowell, one of my favorite, uh, it's almost like a, a textbook that explains how we got the Bible, how accurate it actually is compared to any other uh, written document. I mean, blows every other document, and I'm talking historical like Homer's Iliad and other things, blows it out of the water as far as historical accuracy. Um, so check that out. Um, and that's all I'm going to say about it at this point. You guys know where I stand, you know what, what my thoughts are on the rest of that, but it's not my goal to try and like force you or pull you into that. I don't think I can. I think for a person to, to come to belief in God, God has to be involved in it. So if that's where you are, maybe just start with that prayer. Start with the prayer and, and ask God to kind of give you some direction and then maybe find some buddies to dialogue with and talk to and uh, that do believe or have some sort of belief and, and go from there. Guys, I want to thank you so much for coming back for another episode. I hope to have more in the near future. If you'd like to come on the show, send me an email at sheddinglightod at gmail.com or send a private message to Shedding Light Outdoors. Would love to have you on. Uh, Season is wrapping up here in Ohio pretty quickly. I'm actually thinking about one more hunt, (laughs) uh, trying to get uh, a doe with my recurve bow. So hoping that that can happen. Don't know if it'll happen. If it doesn't, I'll be ready for next year. But that's the game plan. Hope you're doing well wherever you are. Hope that you come back next time. And until then, I'd encourage you to shed the light.